welcome back to another episode of Chipping In, a golf podcast that chips into the golf conversation every week. And what a past couple of weeks it has been. Um, last episode, we talked about full swing, but now we have to get right back in to what has been going on in the PGA Tour because we just had two designated events. And that means the fields were star-studded. We were expected to have great weekends of play great four days of play and they were definitely memorable the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill crazy finish if I've ever seen one you have Kurt Kitayama getting his first win on the PGA Tour finishing at nine under shooting even par in the final round but let's not forget that he had a triple bogey on hole nine and he had to make the turn not at the top but eyeing players like Jordan Spieth Harris English Roy McIlroy and when you turned on the broadcast late afternoon trying to catch the finish you were thinking there might have been a playoff because not only did you have many people tied at eight under you had just as many if not more tied at seven under all finishing out trying to post a score couldn't get the putts to drop and Kurt Kitayama kind of just hanging in there staying even par throughout holes 10 through 16 making a clutch birdie on 17 to kind of kind of separate him from the pack. So it only a playoff would only happen if he were to bogey. And the only two players in that playoff, I believed, would have been Harris English and Rory McIlroy. But Kurt just got it done. Even having, like, not the best tee shot on hole 18, he just talks it through as this caddy. Hits a solid approach to even just make it on the green. Wouldn't have an angle to go at the flag too much just because the angle of the water in front of it. And his putt literally needed one more rotation to go in. And what a power move to mark it. And honestly, have Victor Hovland finish it out. But what a winning moment for Kurt because um, he beat the Stars. This field studded. And the Stars just didn't play out. You had John Rahm entering the week at world number one after he won the Genesis Invitational, and he didn't play in the Honda Classic. Not None of the stars did, but they all returned for this Arnold Palmer Invitational, and you saw John Rahm go low in round one, but he wasn't able to maintain that rounds two through four. He even stated that the, golf, that the course was playing very hard. I mean, Kurt just kind of, Kurt Kitayama kind of just proved himself that he could win against the top dogs. And what a victory that is just going into the stretch of golf we have leading up to the Masters. That's a great win to have under your belt because Bay Hill isn't easy. And the following week, right back at it with the players, one of my favorite events of the year. And because there's simply just nothing more iconic than the Island Green on 17. And 58 shots in the water this trip around TPC Sawgrass and only three aces. But just the energy of that course in general is just just so it's just one of those things you just can't miss turn it on you're just gonna oh you never know what's gonna happen when someone takes a trip to hole 17 so it's just a really special course really special event and the players treat it like such a special event because it's kind of in my mind like a fifth major if you will because everyone always talks about winning the four and then it's always oh who was the previous players champion so there was no defending champion this year because Good old Cam Smith uh, took a took a jump off the PGA Tour boat and hopped onto the sinking live ship. 
I say sinking because they tried to get their logo trademarked, but it was blocked by a nightclub in Miami Beach. And that is just quite comical to me, but we're not going to really dive into live. We're staying on track with players. So no previous champion to go off of. So really the closest past champion in the field was Justin Thomas. But the cut line plus two, several top players missed it. And the groupings going into Thursday and Friday, rounds one and two, were, ch- were great. Like, it was literally a battle for world number one when you had Scotty Scheffler, Roy McIlroy, and John Rahm in one group, and only one made it to the finish. Before day two, Rahm announced that he withdrew from the tournament due to illness, and Rory wasn't close to making the cut. He finished round two at five over, and... The cut line was at plus two. So Scotty was the only one out of that pairing that made it through to the weekend. And he also was the one that walked away with the victory. So Scotty Scheffler just proving again that he's number one. He took over world number one. He's just proving time and time again that he could get it done. He is only the third player to hold the Players' Championship title and the Masters title at the same time. And those other two players are Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. So talking about sealing your name among the greatest to ever do it and just going into this stretch before the Masters, we have about 22 days left to go, I believe, as today is Wednesday, March 15th. So the anticipation is just continuing to build. I mean, Scotty was obviously going to be a favorite in the Masters to kind of repeat his title and I wouldn't put it past him if he does he is just playing really well right now um just in general about the players he won the largest paycheck in golf history 4.5 million so that's kind of a nice little confidence boost and a little bit of a boost to your wallet going into the rest of the month um but just other players that need to kind of get it going I mean Roy McIlroy being at the top of the leaderboard at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but then not even making it to the weekend at the players kind of confuses me a little bit because he can be doing so well, but then just falls right back off the boat, if you will. If he wants to complete the career Grand Slam, which is talked about every year because he still hasn't been the one wearing the green jacket after the end of 72 holes at Augusta National, if he wants to be the one to close it out this year, Something's got to click for him so that the mistakes aren't compounding in days one and two. If Rory can make it to the weekend, he can put himself in position to have a chance at a Sunday finish. I believe that Rory could have a good moving day as long as he doesn't play himself out of it on day one and two. You can't win a tournament on day one, but you can sure as heck play yourself out of it on day one. Because if you make too many mistakes day one, you're battling for a cut line. And sometimes when you're battling for a cut line, it doesn't work out and you don't get to see a Saturday tea time or a Sunday tea time. So he just needs to get locked in and locked in early. And just a little bit, just kind of just talking about the Masters a little bit. But um, two players who finished well at TPC Sawgrass compared to not Scotty's score. Scotty won by five shots, just outright dominated the field and was not letting up or giving any other players a chance. Minwoo Lee having a great week. He's a DP Tour player. 
You might know him mainly because his sister, Minji Lee, is a star on the LPGA Tour. But Minwoo Lee was pretty clutch rounds one through three and on Sunday just couldn't get enough opportunities where Scheffler was down that he could capitalize on. But he just couldn't chase down Scheffler. But great play. Excited to see him in some of the other events. Um, Ricky Fowler and Jason Day had good weeks. And Ricky, you might know him. You might love him from all the commercials you'll see when you're trying to watch the broadcast. But not necessarily because of the stuff he's doing when the broadcast is on. And we're not in commercial breaks. I mean, he finished 10 shots back off of Scott of Scotty at 7 under par. He already has three top 10s this season and just looks better out of the thick of it. I think there's more confidence in Ricky Fowler to get it done. I think even just the way that he's being talked about shows that people are kind of looking at him more as a as um, someone who could find himself in the winner's circle. And what better time to kind of build the momentum than when you're when the Masters is coming quickly on the calendar. And Jason Day is another one of those, another one of those players doing the same. Not a top five this week, but just another strong finish overall. Five top tens already so far in 2022 and 2023 PGA Tour season. And, I mean, these players be loved, first of all. Everybody unites around Ricky Fowler. Everybody has adored Jason Day's play. And just seeing them kind of in the conversation more just kind of brings their brings those fans back into the golf mix gets more people watching if you will and it brings more excitement because it's not not that Scotty Scheffler winning is a bad thing but a comeback victory for Ricky Valor that would get so much traction it is unbelievable I can't even think about it but so this week we have the Valspar championship it is the final leg of the Florida swing played in Palm Harbor Florida and just looking at the weather it could, we have what looks to be a chance of some storms on moving day, but obviously we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, and Saturday is still quite some time away, so things could change. But who knows? Could be in the radar. Let's keep that in mind. And wind gusts throughout the week could be as high as 29 miles per hour throughout all four days, but Thursday seems to be less windy comparatively to the other days. I mean... Thursday only says gusts up to 20 miles per hour and just between a 4 to 11 mile per hour range overall. So if that's the case and Thursday happens to be less windy, players need to take advantage of this because this golf course in general, when you're trying to hit shots into the greens, you're going to have to be careful because there are bunkers everywhere around the front, around the sides, some not as many behind the back of the green. But these pin locations are going to be tight. So if you're going for it, you need to be on the mark. If not, you're going to be scrambling to get up and down for a par. But definitely a golf course you can attack if you're hitting it well into greens. The players gaining shots from their second shots into greens will just be have a slighter advantage. And because this is not a designated event, um, the, the field isn't as star-studded to what we've seen. But that shouldn't matter because sometimes... The stars aren't playing to their just what they're expected, I guess. Not that they have a quota be to be this many under par, but kind of in the back of their minds that, oh, you think players like McElroy's going to make the weekend, and he didn't last week, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, but the field, not as large star-wise, but JT, Spieth, and Fitzpatrick are headlining it star-wise. Um I think having Justin Thomas and Joel Damon in a group, I forget who they're playing with, 
who else is playing with them for rounds one and two. I just think that's a good group just from a full swing documentary standpoint in general, both two stars in that documentary. I kind of just want to see the dynamic of how they play together. Could be interesting because they have two very different approaches in Justin Thomas Thomas is being full of confidence and Joel Damon's kind of not and I don't know it just it could be really interesting but I think that um Spieth has been continually getting closer to winning and he's won on Easter the past couple of years Master Sunday falls on Easter this year so keep an eye out who knows what could happen Spieth might return to the winner's circle in Augusta which for him that would be great but could this be his week he just really needs to kind of keep the putter hot and not really miss those putts that kind of are within the range where you think that he should be draining them Uh, but this is kind of the time where Spieth always looks like he's close to sealing the deal and who knows this might be the chance out in Palm Harbor Florida who knows he could get it done I mean he made the cut miraculously by having his tee shot hit a fan and ricocheting into the fairway and then holding out for an eagle on hole nine in round two to to close it off and make the weekend at even par but there might not be a fan to save a shot this time around so Spieth might have to get it done on his own but I think there could just be a breakout one in general you might see another Chris Kirk story someone either returning to the winner's circle or even just someone running for the first time and I think that a player that could win for the first time is Justin Suh because he's had two top 10s in the past three weeks he had a top 10 in the Honda Classic and a top 10 in the Players Championship both difficult courses and having a top five in the players might give Suh a bigger confidence boost than it would in the Honda Classic but going into this one that's definitely an event where I think he could attack the rest of the field and kind of make a run so I wouldn't be surprised if Justin says in the mix come Saturday and Sunday and just in general this is a great opportunity for everyone um, as the Masters gets closer but enough with the PGA Tour because a couple weeks ago, we would have spoken about this in last week's episode, but last week wasn't traditional in the sense of how I want to have the episodes, kind of recap and previewing, where we just really spoke about full swing. But here we have, two weeks ago when the Arnold Palmer Invitational was going on, LPGA was in Singapore. And what a week it was for them, because... Uh, the HSBC Women's World Championship, which is basically, I mentioned in episode one, Asia's major, had Jin Young-Ko being the reigning champion and had Jin Young-Ko back in the winner's circle, winning it back to back. She is the first player to successfully defend the HSBC Women's World title. And it was definitely not an easy event the score is significantly under par she finished final score of 17 under under which has been the winning score for the past three years and as I mentioned Jin Young-Ko winning back to back and the final pairing well final group rather between that included Jin Young-Ko and Nelly Korda was just so 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 good just watching those two it was I was on 
spring break and I am up late at night watching golf channel into 1 a.m 2 a.m in the morning just kind of needing to see the finish but I ended up not making it I was so tired I fell asleep but I watched the rest of the highlights in the morning and Jin Young Ko just kept making every birdie every putt no she was not phased if she had a par putt to save she drained it and it's kind of like are you kidding me she won by two shots over Nelly, who finished at 15 under. And Nelly Corder, not a bad player either. Um, I mean, um, Nelly even admitted she made a lot of silly mistakes, and she couldn't get all of her putts to drop down the stretch. But um, great seeing her in the mix in a final pairing before the LPGA will really ramp up next week uh, when the U.S. portion of the season will really kick off, and we'll dive into that next week. But... Nelly and Jin Young Ko, both players who had interesting 2022s. Nelly for health reasons, Jin Young Ko for injury reasons with the wrist, with her wrist. And Ko, honestly, her reaction to the victory, honestly, you knew it meant a lot to her. And it was great playing by the entire field. We saw Daniel Kang in the mix Saturday and Sunday, posted a number, but Jin Young Ko just ran away with it. And that's something you see from Jin Young Ko. And if she can continue this like in the early stages of the U.S. portion of the season, there's no doubt you're going to see her at the top of the leaderboard and with several more victories come the rest of the 2023 season. And so just very interesting stuff from that aspect. And now we need to talk about something that broke yesterday because... This doesn't really, this really pertains to the PGA Tour because our our guys, our golfers are slamming shots off the tee. They are hitting bombs and this affects our, more of the PGA Tour players because of how far they've been bombing their tee shots. Off the tee for the past few years, there's been an increase on the average yards of those tee shots. So um, there's been some proposed rule changes surrounding the golf ball. It's a lot to take in. I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. I even had to read a dummy's guide to the brand new golf ball rules. Definitely an article I think you should check out on golf.com. But it's a lot to take in. So basically, it's a rule decided by the USGA, and they are kind of attacking the problem that they believe that the elite golfers are hitting the ball too far, and they want them to hit a little bit shorter. Because golf courses, you've seen Augusta National even do it. You've seen a bunch of courses try to lengthen the holes because golfers are, players are just hitting it too far off the tee, making it easier for them to hit a second shot with sometimes only a pitching wedge which is pretty insane because if I could go driver pitching wedge into every green I would expect my scores to be pretty low because with a wedge sometimes magic can happen you never know everybody has their bad days so but enough about me this wouldn't affect me I'm not bombing it nearly 330 yards trust me I wish um would seriously have to bulk up for that and actually have time to practice but anyway 
the issue is that the USJ is worried that in order for courses to keep up, they'd have to use more resources because longer courses means more maintenance, more money into them, more water hazards in some places, and you don't want you don't want the courses to kind of kind of run into that barrier. So the difference proposed is a five percent difference. So uh, the example given in this article is that if Jordan Spieth hits the tee shot three hundred yards, it would expect it to travel only. 285 with the new ball so the change is about like a 15 yard window and it might not sound like a lot but they had to be careful when making this proposed change because if it's too drastic the players wouldn't be on board some of the players haven't really heard too much of their thoughts yet but I don't really think they're gonna like it too much I don't know I have I have yet to get the sense I'm sure it'll be talked about in media today at the Valspar championship if not definitely as we get closer to the Masters but the USGA does not govern the PGA Tour, but the PGA Tour has historically taken up the rules of the USGA. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But because it wasn't a huge different proposed, there's less of a chance of, of the change being rejected by the tour. But this kind of rule only applies. It's not going to apply to the average Joe or play, people like me who just go out and play for fun. It's going to go towards elite competition. And it's kind of saying that it won't really affect amateur golfers, so they're not going to have to worry about hitting it shorter because they're eyeing the PGA Tour and going, wow, that's really far. I can't do that. And that's not going to affect them too much. But it's not totally clear what's going to happen. Um, the USGA wants the PGA Tour using it. They want the DP, Tour, the DP World Tour using it. They want the NCAA to use it. Um, but there hasn't been a line drawn on where that stops. And so that could be messy. Um, I agree with what this article is saying, is that the line could get blurry kind of where that ends. So, and another issue is the manufacturers not too thrilled. Titleist has been the most vocal about it so far from what I've seen, that they are not thrilled about this. Also because it's kind of creating a different set of rules. So if the players are, if the top players on the PGA Tour, for example, are the only ones adapting this rule and the only ones using a different golf ball, that means manufacturers like Callaway and Titleist and every other one out there is making a ball strictly, is spending the money to manufacture a ball strictly for these players and not cashing in on the money coming from the rest of the public who plays golf. And that population has only grown in the past few years. So it's definitely, a, it's kind of dividing it's kind of a term called bifurcation, um, which means, and I'm quoting the article again because uh, Dylan Dyther explains it best by saying it literally means the division of something into two parts. In golf, it means creating a separate set of the rules for, for the pros versus the everyday amateurs. And so that kind of gets into issues in those manufacturing problems because a lot of golf is... You see Jordan Spieth playing with these clubs being sponsored by these brands, and you know that you can go out and buy the same equipment that he uses. You might not be able to perform as well with that equipment, but you can buy it. The companies will love if you buy it because then they're making a heck ton of money. But um, when you take away the spot where the golf ball might not be the same, it kind of 
gives you a different feeling because this rule is only proposed for elite competitions whatever that means you don't really know I think some of the players were pretty opposed um a lot of a lot of uh companies just don't like Titleist uh was vocally opposed to calling it a solution in search of a problem because okay there might be an issue of them hitting it too far but at some point because what players have done is they started to increase their swing speeds and that has allowed them to generate more power off the tee which is getting them to hit it farther you've seen this a couple years back when Bryson DeChambeau took the tour by storm hitting monster shots where he bulked up and just starting hitting absolute bombs off the tee that blew out the field so everyone tried to keep up with that tried to increase their swing speed not necessarily bulk up to the level he did but just increase their speed coming through the ball and that speed has generated the power to keep increasing those distances but even with players like Bryson once you get to a certain point you can't maintain that off the tee he started to become really shaky and missing tons of fairways and putting himself in two hard situations where he couldn't get up and down and make strong numbers to win so at a point there is a max and so now the way they're testing golf balls is a little bit differently because the golfer is getting better the robot that tests the golf balls has also improved so they're gonna have swing have the golf have the golf robot if you will swing at speeds between 120 to 127 miles per hour where it was previously, um, uh, no, the previous test, I'm sorry, the robot will be swinging at speeds from one at 127 miles per hour, having better spin on the ball, better launch numbers compared to what the robot was swinging at 120 miles per hour. This sounds crazy, but this is golf, and I told you guys, I will literally, I am literally so invested in this sport, so I will talk about anything and everything, and so now I'm talking about golf ball rules so here we are nitty-gritty chipping in will players be able to chip in with this ball who knows we will have to wait and see but I mean definitely a lot to dive into in this episode a lot that's happened in the past two weeks so I thank you guys for listening to episode three of chipping in um next week we'll come back with a recap of the Valspar and a preview as to what's next on both the PGA Tour and LPGA Tour, and I'm sure some more news is going to go down as the rest of the week goes on. Should be a great event. If Justin Sue wins the Valspar, you heard it here first, or probably read about it somewhere, but you heard it here first. So thank you again for listening. Tune in every week on Spotify, and don't forget to follow along on social media at ChippingInPod on both Instagram and Twitter. Until next time.